Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Again, has to be careful of the speed. What a comeback season for Hal Sutton. Come right back toward the hole. Seventeen years later, Hal Sutton is the Players' Champion. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Be The Right Club Today podcast. How we got a, a fun little week playing this week. Let's talk golf starting. Yeah, it is. Starts this week. I've been excited about that. I think not enough people work on their mental side of their game. They work on their golf swing all the time. But, you know, the mental side of the game is where I progress the most. As a That's where maturity comes in. And I want to try to see if I can help others. Yeah, I mean, we can work as hard as we want to on our golf swing, and, and Adam Scott has, some people think Adam Scott has the perfect swing, but he's not winning every week, right? And, you know, we like to say all the time, control the things you can control. You can control your process. You can control your thinking. You can't really control the result of the golf ball all the time or can't control your golf swing and make it perfect. No, you can't. And, you know, uh, I don't think enough people realize there's a lot to be gained from a better yep. mindset. Yep. And uh, I think they think that all their advancement is going to be through equipment and technology, and that's not the case at all. Yep. And, you know, we're trying to build complete players here. That's exactly right. And uh, the mind is a big part of any golfer. Well, and, and spending time, you know, we, we talked about, I think it was in the, in the EJ Fister podcast, how, you know, we had a saying that tour players were, were fragile, just like, just like regular players. And, and we mentioned this on last week's podcast that anybody can get better if they improve their mindset. You know, Tiger, Tiger and Jack having some of the best, you know, Jim Furyk having some of the best mindsets or the, the best mental game out there. Still, they weren't perfect with it. You know, they could have improved it a little bit. Well, my rookie year, I'll never forget this. First six months, I didn't hardly do anything. And I was physically there. Yeah. But mentally, I just lacked a lot. And it, there was a learning curve. I had to watch what other people did. Uh, I had to gain more confidence that, hey, I could hit the shot just as well as they could. You were good enough to be out there. I was good enough to be out there. And I had to convince myself that I was. And then I had to clean up my mental yeah. uh, part of the game. For sure. And then I really started playing well once I figured out how to do that, yep. and I think everybody out there can gain so much from uh, from some knowledge of what the best players in the world did mentally. So, real quick for those that are listening that haven't heard that haven't heard of Let's Talk Golf yet, give them a give them an elevator pitch on what it is. Well, it's it's all about the mental mindset, basically. Uh, it's tonight uh, we'll be going over the. Uh, inventory in your game you probably don't even know what your game uh what the best parts of your game are and what the worst part of your game is and you know i've said this many many times there no one i never saw any great player turn their weakness into their strength 
but I did see some guys lose their strength trying to make their uh, weakness the best part of their game because you have to neglect your strength, and the strength is the reason why you're as good as you are. So uh, there'll be a lot to it. Uh, with the outline of tonight is uh, extensive, uh, so uh, tune in. Yeah, so it's an eight eight week series. Um, right, doing live live Zoom calls. Um, have direct access to to again Hal, who you know one of the one of the best to ever play this game to get insight into you know how you played the game, how you beat Tiger, how you beat Jack, how you did the little things, and you can ask questions. You guys can get as involved as you want to. They'll be recorded, so if you can't get in there live, you can see the recordings afterwards. We have a private Facebook group that we're answering all the questions and getting you know trying to kind of create a. A kind of a tight knit community and, and, and help you with help you guys with your games basically and, and and with this particular product we're focusing completely on the middle side. Well and the beautiful part about this is how many things can you join a group of people that are like minded? Yeah. Not that many things can you can you do. And here's the other thing most of y'all are afraid to play with someone better than you. But trust me, that's where you get better is yeah. playing with someone that's better than you. Yeah. And the other thing is is when you feel like you found something that really helped you, you put your arms around it and you keep it quiet because you don't want anybody else to get better. Yeah. I did that too in the beginning part of my tour career and I hated that I did it. You know, I won't the ocean to come up, if yep. you will, and I want to rise to the top of the rising seas. Yep. And that's the way y'all need to view your golf game. That's exactly right. Rising tide raises all ships. And that's, that's exactly that's right. That's what we're trying to do. So if you're interested in that, check out offers.housesettengolf.com. Um, send us an email if you've got any questions about it. Uh, we're running a special till the beginning of next week, till our episode two, which will air Wednesday of next week. So we're running a, a about a, a 25% off special up until that point. So get in if you guys are interested. Also, too, real quick, if you have golf swing issues, um, check out our online lessons. We're running a, a $50 off special for a one-time online lesson for all of our podcast listeners. For, so for you guys listening at home that need any swing help as well, check that out. Send us an email at info at howsuntgolf.com if you're interested in that. All right, sales pitch over. We've got we've got uh, we've got part two of part two of Phil again. Part one, I, I told you off air that we got I got a couple of texts that part one might have been one of the best podcasts we've had so far. Well, you know I think the world and all of Phil. He's super smart. Uh, he's uh, well spoken, and uh, everybody likes Phil that I know of. So uh, I think he was a great guest. The second part of this uh, podcast is as equally as good as the yep. first one yep awesome well let's let's get into it you guys enjoy part two with phil blackmore um i've, I've got a little fictional story i like to tell charlie's getting ready for the q school he's playing in a mini tour event the front nine he hits every shot perfect he doesn't miss a shot he shoots 32 easy he goes to the 10th tee it's an elevated tee really high elevated dog leg left around lake out of bounds to the right and as he's going over there the wind picks up and it's coming from the left and Charlie's been hitting it great, but now he gets up there and he's looking with this wind coming left, out of bounds over there, water over here. He needs to hit driver. And somewhere deep down, there's a little alarm going off. Say, well, wait a minute. What is that? I don't like this. And he, he senses it, but he says, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to pick my target. I'm going to see my shot. I'm going to trust my swing. And so he does. And he gets up and right at the bottom, he stands up on it just a tiny bit, catches a bit in the heel, gets up, wing catches, it bounces out of bounds. He hits another one down there, makes double. 
he gets up on 11. He says, stay in your posture, you son of a gun. And, and he does, and he flips a little bit left and makes bogey. And he just kind of plays so-so after that. She's 38 on the back, so she's 70 for the day. But he totally lost it there on the back. So he goes to the range to hit balls. He gets out on the range with no boundaries, with nothing in the way. It's a stripe show. Doesn't miss a shot. So he calls home, talks to his coach, what I work on. And I think that's where a player, a player's perspective can say, okay, it all started to be back up to the 10th tee. That's where it started. You know, what you did was fine, but there's some other options, things that you could have done, different ways you could have gone about it. And if not, if nothing else, realize why you hit a bad shot there so that you wouldn't have lost it the rest of that second nine. So I think there's always questions of, that really good players should be more involved, that it's a blend between modern science, which is fantastic. I don't dislike science at all. I just think players like Hal Sutton need to have a larger voice in this whole thing. So along those lines, I mean, Chase knows this. You don't know this yet. We're fixing to do a deal called Let's Talk Golf, where it's just about mindset. Most people can become a better player if they just work on their mind with and inventory what they currently have. You have a better chance of becoming a better player that way than you do changing your golf swing. And I guarantee you, you echo that. I do. I echo that 100%. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. I think that'll be a great product. And, you know, the Bob Toskies of the world, and we need we need more, more of those. You know, we need more of guys like you involved in instruction, involved in helping folks, because you get that, because you've been there and you've done it. Well, wow. one thing too to that point, Phil. Like, I think that there there are some guys in the top 100 on the Golf Digest teaching list that never could never crack an egg playing golf. Like, they they didn't play college golf. They but got, they're, they're great teachers. I, I, they're they're golf. They're good golf swing instructors. You know, like exactly. they're they're good golf. You know, like I think I think to be a great coach. If you, you know, because now there's so many coaches, there's performance coaches, there's sports psychologists, there, there, there's a coach for everything now. Right. Um, but I think to be a, a, an all inclusive coach, I, I think you're right. I don't necessarily, and this is me backing up my golfing resume, I don't necessarily think you have to win 14 times on the PGA Tour to get to that point. No, but you were there too, you experienced it too. Correct. And I think you have to at least play at a certain level, you have to play, uh, you know have a chance to win a college event, a D one college event, or have a chance to play on the mini tours and play at a high level. Because I, I totally agree with you. If, if only thing you did was get to a five handicap and play in high school, it's really hard for you to, to make that same assessment as far as, you know, how does that player get to get through those situations where, um, you know, the wind picks up on the tent tee and, and, and that was a, that was a complete mindset thing. That wasn't a golf swing issue. 1990, I don't remember what year it was, but it was, there were two tournaments left in the year, and Vegas was the first one. And I needed a top 20 to keep my card. And it was back when we played Desert Inn and Las Vegas Country Club, and I don't remember the other one there in Vegas. And I teed off on 10 at DI, par 5, easy par 5, driver 4 on par 5. And I hit this toe hook over by the tennis course, three feet from out of bounds, Chopped it down the fairway, knocked on the green, two-putted for par, and I got to 11. I looked at my caddy, and I said, you know, there's not a way in the world my swing feels so bad. There's no way that I can make the cut or have a decent week this week if I keep doing what I'm doing. So what can I do? And he's looking at me. I said, well, you know, I've got a one iron in there that's two inches over length. It's got 14 degrees loft. 
and PC Hogan PC one iron. I mean, they were talking this. This was this was a one iron. This was a butter knife, okay. and uh, forty two inches long. I mean, this thing was a. This was a. You had to be a host. You had to be a host to hit this one iron. Let me tell you. And the fairways were all really fast. You know, it was late in the year. Fairways were really really quick. And so I said, I know I can take this thing and I can hook my grip and move it back in my stance, stay on top of it. And I can just trap this thing and hit a stinger, what Tiger popularized as a stinger, but hit a bullet down there and run it down there. So I did on number 11, a good par four. And I just rolled out about 280 or 290, you know, down there on these fast fairways. So I got down there and I got an eight iron left of the green. I'm going, well, I can't hit an eight iron that way into these greens. They're a little firm. It's going to bounce over into the street. I said, what can I do? I said, well, I know I can stick my rear end out. And I can rotate, hold the face under, and hit a high cut. I can do that up to a seven iron and hit some decent shots. But anything longer than a seven iron, I'm going to get the club behind me and flip it, and it could go anywhere. So I said, maybe I'll do that with a short iron. So at this eight iron, my rear out, boom, high cut, up there about 15 feet. I said, okay, we got us a plan. And my caddy said, well, what are you going to do on all the other shots? I said, I'm just going to skink it somewhere up there on the corner of the green or off the edge where I can make par, and that's what we're going to do. Shot 2,300 and finished third. So there's a case for how can you teach somebody to be open-minded enough to do something like that? You look at Tiger's greatness. A lot of his greatness was his willingness to hit a shot in any situation. He would hit a shot. Hal Sutton would hit a shot. Hit a six iron on the last hole there at the players. He would hit a shot when he had to hit a shot. There, to be a great player, you have to have a willingness to hit a shot, even if it's not your favorite shot, but it's a shot that you feel like you need to hit. you got to be able to freely let this thing go because you believe in yourself and you know that this is what you need to do. And that that's the part that where I think that uh, that side of it, what Hal was talking about a moment ago, the mental side of it, is the part where a player, I think, can, can really blend with the science and you can make this perfect world. And Chase, I'm not... Belittling you, you played too, and I don't think you have to be a, a a player to teach the golf swing and all that. But to understand how to do some of those things, I think you really have to have played at least a little bit at some level. Perfect segue. Um, what are your thoughts on? And I, I know some of them because I've seen some of the arguments. But we've had we've had Scott Fawcett on. We've talked about decade quite a bit. Let's 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 have a little discussion about about decade and and. <clears throat> Because some of the stuff you just talked about was like that's, you know, decades all about the math and and playing blackjack the same way against the against the house every time. And you just mentioned Not the same as blackjack. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the gross analogy of it, right? Go ahead. Yeah. You just um, you just described some situations where you you ventured off course to survive, and you know, run through some of your thoughts. I'd love I'd love to have a have a decade because for the most part, and again. Scott tries to make it black and white. And as Hal said a bunch, like there are going to be gray areas. There's going to be times, just like you said, we, we talked about the players this last year with, with Westwood and, and, and Bryson and how Westwood to define his career needed to hit a shot. And he pulled it a little bit or, or aimed a little bit left or whatever it was on 17 and then ended up finishing second. But Scott's going to say, hit it, hit it to the middle of the green there every time. And, and you guys are saying, Hey, sometimes we got to fill it deep down inside and, and bow up and hit a shot. So let's talk a little bit about your thoughts on decade. Well, first off, let me say, I think Decade's a wonderful, wonderful tool. I think it's fantastic. I think that I actually did a lot of things consistent with Decade. I, I think it's tremendous. Uh, my only contentions with Scott have been maybe a misunderstanding or not understanding exactly what it, it does enough 
for me to fairly say, but I do think that sometimes you have to deviate off the map a little bit. Um, the reason I don't think it's the same as blackjack is that the odds are set in blackjack, right? In golf, you can change the odds. You can change the odds by changing the shot that you're going to hit. If changing the shot makes you feel better or worse about your chances of playing this shot, then you've now changed the odds of that shot. When you change shots, your dispersion changes. Scott's decade is all about dispersion, you know, and staying within one or two standard deviations of, you know, whatever, and recognizing that, in his words, even tour pros don't even know where it's going to go. It's a scattergun. It's a shotgun. And I've played with Hal Sutton when it wasn't a shotgun, when he knew where the heck it ball was going to go. But I think that, I think in a perfect world, you play by decade, but you have a breaking point where that I'm going right at it because this maybe for me, it was often a nine iron and a wedge or an eight, nine and a wedge, if I was hitting it good, where that I had pretty good control of those clubs. I asked John Cook for him it was a six iron down. I don't know what it was for Hal and it varies, but you know, you've got, you can't make a lot of bogeys, but you got to make birdies to win. You're going to have to shoot 20 under 20 plus under to win. You got to make birdies. Most of those come on par fives. But if you get a wedge in your hand or a nine iron in your hand and that hole's cut on the edge of the green and you got a decent short game and you, you're dialed in on your wedge or your nine iron, then you got you got to go at it. And I was good with the wedge. And so I see too many players when I cover the Corn Ferry Tour aiming wedges 15 feet away from the hole with a wedge. Well, the percentage of putts made from 20 feet is about, about uh, 40 or from 10 feet is about, I think, 40% or something like that. And the percentage of putts made from 20 feet is half of that. So if you hit it, if you're aiming 15 feet from the hole, you're willing, and I, I see players do this all the time, they aim with a wedge 15 feet away, they hit it 18 feet away, they miss the putt, and they go over there and mess with their putting stroke. Well, they're going to make one out of five from there. They needed to hit it closer with that wedge or that nine iron. If you're hitting a six iron or five iron or the wind's not comfortable, you don't like your lie, you play towards the center of the green. I agree with that 100%. I agree with playing with driver to the widest part of the fairway if that's the play. Um, but I, I think you have to make adjustments based on how you feel. And the parts that, that is missed is the player who feels the best about this upcoming shot is going to play the best. And if a certain strategic decision to play a shot a certain way makes you feel the best, without being an absolute moron, being too aggressive, then you've got the best chance of hitting a good shot. You know, if Hal Sutton's on and he's, he hit his irons like friggin' lasers just on a rope, if he's on and I get him caddying for him and give him an eight iron and say, okay, I want you to aim 20 feet over there away from the hole, he'd look at me and friggin' take his two iron out and hit me right between the eyes. I said, eight iron, son, I'm not going to aim 20 feet away with this eight iron. Now, if it was a five iron, maybe. But I think that you've got to fit it to where you're at. Well, one of the things that I've disagreed with Scott a little bit on is he says anything 60 yards between boundaries out there, it's a driver all the time. And I disagree with that 100%. I think that's a player's call. He's in his body. He's got the feelings of what he's doing. And, you know, a shot like that can make or break your career. And you played enough with him, uh, with Jack Nicholas. I played a lot with Jack Nicholas. He hit more three woods off of the tee than most anybody could ever imagine. So I know Jack Nicholas doesn't subscribe to that, or he wouldn't have played three wood all the time. Right. You agree with that? 
I agree 100 percent, but I also think the game's different today. I think the ball's different out of the rough. The grooves are different. Guys hit it so much further um, on average than, than what the average tour player did back then. I think the game's different today. Um, but I, I think it depends on the conditions, on the golf course and all this. I'm a big believer in the fairway is a great place to be. Um, <laughs> so am I. But statistically, you have to admit the game's different for tour players today. And um, it's amazing how good they can control their distance out of the rough. Where, I mean, for us, that flyer I hit at the tour school over your head on the 14th tee is a prime example. I had 173 to the hole. And I hit a seven iron and it had to flown 200 yards. It, you know, the flyers back then would go forever with those groups. Right. So it's different the, the, in, in that regard. But um, I think Scott's tools actually has a lot of great stuff. It's got a really good merit. That's a great starting point. It will shorten the learning curve, which is the thing he likes to say. I agree with that 100%. I do too. Uh, but I also think, like, when I watch Will Zalatoris, who Scott will claim is decade, you know, 100%. Watched him enough to see him hit a lot of balls close to the hole. Those weren't by chance. He didn't keep pushing them or pulling them right next to the hole. He had a lot of shots with the short clubs anyway, aiming in there. And, um, you know, when you get, you, you know, that, that the mental side of the game, when you get on, you got to respect that. That's, that's where you make your living. You have to respect when you're on. Well, when you're really hitting it good, you're stepping on the gas. That's right. You better step on the gas. And when you're not hitting it very good, you better step on the brake a little bit. That's it. Chase, you see those eyes again? <laughs> <They're> <laughs> <poor> again. <laughs> well, it's funny when you were talking, Phil, I wrote down inventory because it's something you've mentioned a couple of times and we talk about it all the time on here. And I I think that I think what you guys said is spot on. It it speeds up the learning curve. I think Scott's right on that. I think that it helps. It helps our junior players that are that fire at every flag, especially with lasers. They're firing at every flag. They're lasering the flag and hitting it to the flag where we grew up walking off the distances to the front or to the middle and then working back from there. But the other thing I put down was that, you know, Scott talks a lot about tour average. And, and frankly, we did a, a, a maintain a, a expectation management podcast last week and did all these stats and tour average from 100 yards is 18 feet. Like it's not that close. But like Brandel pointed out when he no, was, let's come back to that. Okay. Right. So Brandel pointed that stat out too when he when he was on here. He said, okay, so the question I asked Scott and Lou was that if Tiger is on the prowl on Sunday on his uh, on his game and he has a hundred yards, you're gonna tell him to aim 10 feet left of a of a tucked right pin or 15 feet left of a tucked right pin. And they said yes. And he was like, Okay, I disagree with that because Tiger's not tour average. He's five to seven feet inside of tour average, and that's Precisely. where you guys and Hal said it a bunch. You guys play your best three to five times a year. And when you're on, and even even you're going to hit it better than that, more than that. It's just everything's on at that three to five times. You're going to hit it great half the time, right? 40% of the time. Who knows? I'm throwing numbers out. But to me, I agree with you guys. When you're on, I think you there are more green lights than Scott's going to want you to take on. I also think one thing he says that's really important. He, he, he says if you're a, a grizzled veteran, that's fine. You know, deviate from the plan a little bit more. If you're a rookie or you're your first couple of years on tour figuring out how to play, his system's going to be better off for you than than once you've already got status and in that shot's not going to make or break your career. I don't I don't I don't I don't I disagree and I agree in some ways, but it just depends on the player. Um I, I do think that to say that you're a tour average 
And dispersions change. So you're looking at a shot, and here's the dispersion. So, okay, that's my st normal shot, this, that, and the other. But you know what? On this one, I feel really good about hitting a little knockdown cut in there. It feels really good. I'm going to deviate from my normal shot. Now I have to ask myself, what's my dispersion with this shot? Is it the same or is it different based on where I aim? And so to me, to use the, use the program effectively, you have to know when your dispersions change and make decisions based on what your dispersion is in. Like for me personally, I know that when I played a knockdown, I rarely missed it left. So I could be, if the hole's cut left, I could be more aggressive with my aim um, if the hole's cut left, knowing that my miss is not going to be left with an eight iron if I move it back in my stance. My dispersion is different. On the other hand, if the hole's cut right, like the 17th of the players, and I got an eight iron, my miss is to the right. I should have been aimed further left, but I just birdied four out of the last six, and I'm feeling it, and I'm like, I'm going to friggin' pump this one in there. I started out aiming at the middle of the green, but as I stood over it, I kept wiggling further right. <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to back off. And um, But uh, that's, that's the case where I made a bad decision uh, because my dispersion shifted to where my miss was to the right. So I think you have to take that into account. It's it's really interesting you mentioned that because I, I when I was a sophomore in college I was playing with uh, I was playing at sectional U.S. Open in in Columbus we played Scioto the first round and played uh, Scarlett the second round and I was paired with Jerry Kelly and it was when Jerry went on a run on the PGA Tour he finished top ten like eight eight to ten weeks in a row well he wasn't he wasn't exempt for the U.S. Open and we played with him we played Scioto first and then played Scarlett and we were on I can't remember if it was either eight or seventeen on Scarlett but it's a par three kind of downhill water left. Pin was on the left side. It was probably 170, 165. It wasn't super long. I'll never forget this shot. He aimed 15 feet left of the pin right in the middle of the water. And he's he was probably – he probably had a one-shot lead at the time. He had two holes left. He was going to qualify, no question. Like, he, I think he ended up winning the qualifier. He starts it right out over the water and overcuts it 15 feet right out of the hole and has a 15-footer right in the middle of the green. And his caddy was super cool to us. And, like, because I was just a young, young little college kid, I was blown away by how good these guys were. And I remember walking down the tees and I, I, I asked the caddy, I said, what in the world? Like, what was he doing? He goes, he knew that's the safest shot for him to hit right there. He was never going to miss that ball left. He was going to aim left and push it to the right edge of the green. If he aimed right, he could pull hook that ball in the water. And as I've gotten better in understanding my swing, that I would have tried to hit the same shot. Now I would hit a big high cut because I know if I aim right, I'll tend to pull hook it. And, and I'll miss it left. And I, I, it took me 10 years to figure that out. Like I never understood why. And like in that case, Scott's going to say aim 20 feet right and try to hit it there where Jerry said no. And he obviously went on and won the qualifier and has had a great career. But Scott might say he, he did try to hit it over there. He just aimed a different place. I, I, he, he aimed to his pattern and, and that's probably what he would say. But you shift, you shift your, you know, and that's experience. You shift, you have a go-to shot. You have something that, that feels good and your dispersion shifts and you make an adjustment in your aim to, to fit what your new dispersion is. Al, thoughts? Well, to that point, the first time I won TPC, I aimed it over the water left and cut it to the right because I did not want to hook it in the water. So I knew if I aimed left and left the face open, I was going to hit a push cut. And a bogey had a chance to win. And I made bogey and won. And the second time when I beat Tiger, I knew I had to stand up there and man up and hit a shot past him so that I had the last shot. So I had to hit driver to do that. And I had to hit it right down the left side. So I dared to go left. But uh, 
you know, it's situational. Uh, Can I ask you a question about that shot, that tee shot, Hal? Yeah. So had you not pulled that shot off, how would you have felt about it? I'd have felt fine because I had a plan and I was going to do the best I could. I mean, if I, if I failed, uh, you did I just so had well. to accept it. You did so while daring greatly. That's what that final line in that poem means, you know, so that your place should never be with those cold and timid souls. You were daring greatly. And Chase, I think, you know, that evaluation part of it is huge. I think that part of it is missing. Hal would have been proud of the fact inside that he dared to play that shot to try to beat Tiger Woods in that moment, even if he didn't pull it off, because he gave himself a chance to beat Tiger. And if he didn't pull it off, he would he would still say, you know what, I gave it everything that I have. Isn't that yeah. right? That's exactly right. Well, let me give you an, an example of that. Tiger makes Eagle on 16. He's got the T on 17, and he goes right. He's one behind now, mind you, and he knows it's easier to birdie 17 than it is to birdie 18. He goes right at the flag. He's trying to make a one. He didn't hit it very good, and it barely cleared the water. Actually, I didn't think it was going to clear the water when he hit it. And but he was still trying to win the tournament. He was willing to accept, I didn't do it, but he was going to try to do it. And I think, I don't know what your opinion is on this. I don't see enough guys trying to win anymore on the tour. And what's your thoughts on that? I, I agree a hundred percent with that. I, I think, I, well, I think some guys, I think that Justin Thomas is great at it. I think John Rahm showed his will to win at Torrey. Right. You know, I, I think there are guys out there that, that have that will and not everyone is born with it. Um, I, I don't know that enough people understand how to train it or the value of it. I did a little study interesting um, of this year. I took every tournament up until the U S open this year, top three players through 54 holes. So they're the, they're the cream of the crop and strokes gained through 54 holes, right? Um, 45% of the players on tour that were third place or better, after 54 holes, shot negative strokes gained the final round, 45%, half of them. 65% of them were three shots or worse strokes gained compared to their average the first three days. I think that's a, a very telling stat. I think that I think if you're a tour player looking for a place to differentiate yourself from others, that if you can develop that skill to do what Hal's talking about right here, to try to win, to hit that shot, and to be proud, I think, Chase, when you evaluate something, you evaluate, hey, I stood up there. I, I'm proud of the shot I hit on 17 that players, and I hit it in the water. I'm proud because I stood up there daring to play this shot, and I didn't back off. I hit a bad shot, but I know in my heart that I didn't hit a bad shot because I was afraid that I was going to hit a bad shot. I, had a, I hit a bad shot. I hit them all the time. I'm not a, that consistent of a ball striker. It just happened at a poor time. Um, I think when you have that attitude that you're willing to fail, that you're willing to do whatever it takes to win, I think when you have when you can evaluate things that way, I think that's when you can be your best. So do you guys think that, you know, you, you'll see less trying to win because, like I wrote down, the, you know, the fields are so much deeper. So a lot of these guys, you know, Troy Merritt and Cam Davis played in the playoff last week. I played a bunch of rounds with Troy Merritt in college. Like he was trying to win his second or third time, Cam first time. Like, do you think it's because, you know, back in the day with Arnold and Jack and 
Gary Player and all these all these winners that a lot of people want to talk about. Do you think that you're going to see more struggles in the final round in the lead because a lot of these guys, you know, they're not going to win 14 times like Hal Sutton did? How, how if you don't mind, I'm going to go first. I'll let you go second. I think that a lot of that has to do with how guys are taught today. They're taught that you need to be free, which you do. And so they're taught to pretend that these shots don't mean any more than any other shot. And I think so they go out on Sunday trying to think this is just another round. This I'm just going to pretend like no shot means any more than other shot. And that works great until all of a sudden one does. And when one does and that little prick bursts that bubble that you're sitting in, a little pen prick bursts that that bubble when the water starts oozing out of that hole now what happens now what do you do i don't think that i that idea is resilient enough that's why i like the idea of stepping up there and being proud of the fact i'm going to evaluate this on my willingness to play the shot not on trying to just be free and easy in every shot would you want a pilot to land that plane on the on the aircraft carrier hey this is just like any other landing i don't really care for a surgeon to operate on your knee like well i'm just going to tell myself it doesn't really matter no, I want, you know, George Mumford worked with Michael Jordan and he wrote in his book, I told Michael in the key moments, taking the last shot, that kind of thing, to look at the score, to listen to the crowd, to look at the players, to take everything in about that moment and then see himself taking the perfect shot and then step back and just let it happen. And that's what Hal did. That's what I'm talking about. And I think that I don't think that a lot of players are being taught that today. I think, and I think that's why you see some of the things that, that you see. But I, I think pressure's always been a, it's always been tough for people. It's, I'm not, I don't want to think that it's guys back in the past, you know, it was easier then for guys then. But I will say this, when, when Hal and I started on tour, you could keep your card and lose money for the year. And so yeah. there was, there was a, it took $38,000 in 1985 to keep your card. You're going to lose money. And so there was more of a dog eat dog. Hey, I got to beat you to make a living type of a pressure that you dealt with week in, week out. That may be prepared for you, prepared you a little bit better for it. That's that's an interesting. I've never I've never actually heard that one before. That 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 one's pretty strong, Hal. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I could say it any better than that. To be honest with you, I mean there are moments that will define a career, and you better not treat it just like any other shot in the world. I can tell you, and that's one of my big contentions uh, when we go back to decade. You know, when he's talking about if I didn't feel it, I don't. I was a I was a pretty good driver of the ball. If I didn't feel it, I'd back off and make sure I hit it fairway. And you know, I wasn't gonna push the limits just because I had to prove a point. You know, I wanted to prove to myself. I wanted to keep my confidence level as high as I could keep it all the time. And I couldn't stand to hit a shot that required something that I didn't have that day or I wasn't feeling that day. I didn't, I need, I didn't need to fit around a square in a round hole, so to speak. The player who feels best plays the best. That's right. Right back to that. Yeah. Phil, one of the questions I wrote down, um, what, what, did, what did walking inside the ropes as much as you have, what, what did it teach you? Did you learn anything that you didn't, you wish you would have known or, or seen, you know, kind of looking at it in almost in third person, like you're watching yourself play or watching, watching these guys play? Um, I don't know. I think I, I probably learned maybe that guys win tournaments still hitting a lot of bad shots. I, I think that, you know, stepping back, maybe I realized I wasn't the only one hitting bad shots out there. That I could have been a little nicer to myself. You need to be your own best friend. 
Um, I think that's really about it. I I think that today, I think uh, I learned a couple of things. I got to follow Tiger in the early 2000s, several times when I was doing USA for four years, Thursday, Friday coverage. And when we get off air, when I had him, then I would go watch him practice. And I, I can't believe this, Hal, I don't know how you feel about it, but when I came on tour, if somebody was really good at something, I would go watch him. I watched Hal Sutton hit golf balls several times. I was hitting balls at, at um, Hilton Head one year. It was overseeded ryegrass, sand underneath, half-inch ryegrass, 1985. Guy behind me starts warming up. He hits about five of these beautiful, low-flighted, 80-yard draw sand wedges. And we're talking back when you didn't get new grooves every week. And off that, that ryegrass, I mean, not to hit one that ran up the face and hit a tumbler five in a row. I'm like, who in the heck is this? I turn around, it's Weisskopf. And so I put my stuff down. I sat behind him. I watched Weisskopf hit golf balls. Um, I watched I watched Ballesteros and Othabel have a bunker contest at the players one year. Um, I watched, I would challenge players. I got a chipping contest with Watson, Azinger, different people. Um, I watched Tiger in that four-year period at least 25 or 30 times practice. I wouldn't bother him. I wouldn't ask him a single thing. I would stand behind the ropes and I'd just sit there and just watch his practice sessions. It was fascinating. He would spend 70% of his time following his rounds, working on six iron to a wedge, three-quarter draws and three-quarter cuts so he could control his distance and trajectory, which he talked about in every interview that he did back then. The one thing I didn't see was a single player not one time come down and watch him. Out of all those times I watched, not one came down, either asked him a question or just watched him. I don't understand that. Hal, I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I'd, I'd like to know everything that Tiger thought because he sure did it right. You know, uh, you know, one of the things that I know for sure, and I talk about it around here a lot, Tiger knew how to control his trajectory. And every really good player that you ever played with could control their trajectory. I had a long conversation with Ben Hogan one time, and he compared it to a building that was setting up there that each story had a window. And he said, I wanted to be able to put it through whatever window I wanted to put it through there with whatever club. That's talent when you can do that. And I can tell you right now, uh, I, Chase watches me talk to kids around here all the time about it. Learn to control your trajectory. Learn to flight the ball. When you learn how to flight the ball, you can play in all conditions. Early on in my career, I could flight it really low. And, man, I'd wake up and see the wind blowing, and I'd be going like this. Man, I love it because the rest of them want to go back to bed. I know I got the advantage because I can flight the ball. So I, I don't know how you feel about flighting the ball, but I think that's what you're saying. Well, I'm saying that, but I'm also the willingness to go watch other players to see what you can pick up or see what they're doing. Not necessarily to change your golf swing. But if somebody has a special skill like in short game area or or putting or can hit certain shots like Weisskopf hitting those wedges, I want to go watch them do it in case I could pick something up that might help me. Um, a willingness to see how other players did it. And um, So did you see it? I did. You went and looked at it. Did you see it? I saw I saw it. I, Weisskopf helped me. He had a wedge that had no grooves on it. But I watched how he was covering the ball. And I know you used to try to cover the ball a lot. He was covering it to get that flight. And yet he was being able, he was able to stay nice and shallow, even though he's so tall. And that was fantastic. Um, one I didn't see that I couldn't ever figure out was Andy Bean. Andy and I are good buddies. And Andy won a bunch of times in windy environments. But he hit the ball straight up in the air, back with the spinny ball. But his ball... 
his ball would go high, but it but it wouldn't rise. It'd go straight. It would pierce the wind. And we were playing one day, and it was particularly windy. And I said, Bean, are you ever going to hit a knockdown? <laughs> Kid, I don't need to hit a knockdown. If you hit it solid, it'll go through the wind. <laughs> I must never hit one solid then because mine won't. <laughs> well, Phil, this has been great. Man, we've gotten a lot of stuff from you that uh, everybody needs to listen to. You know, uh, I've always admired your tenacity, your ability to learn, your uh, your deep thinker when it comes to the game of golf. Very deep thinker, and uh, I've been anxious to have you on and let the world see. Uh, you know, you you throw tidbits out while you're out there commentating. And I'm not sure people really get what you're saying. No, and, I'm not, I agree. Yeah. And, and you know, I get it because I played the game like you. But right. I'm not sure everybody can really appreciate what you're saying. And uh, I, this was a forum that gave you an opportunity to expand on what you say, what you I, think. I appreciate that you catch the, some of those I throw out there. If I could add one thing real quickly for the young players. Please work on your wedges. The, the wedge game is lost today, even on the tour level. Um, work on controlling your distance and your flight with your wedges, please. Please, pretty please. Well, especially if you're going to bomb driver, you better you better be a half-decent wedge player. You better yeah. be a half-decent wedge player, you know, because, I mean, that's wedges are easy. And remember, your wedge swing does not have to be the same as your full swing. You're free to tweak things a little bit to get the flight and use the face, apply the face to the ball to get the shot that you want with a wedge. One swing does not work on every shot. And I think that's a really good way to close this because I 100% agree with that. I'm glad to hear that. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me. This has been really fun. I've been looking forward to hoping you would call sometime. Well, we're definitely going to have to have you back on. We could talk for, we could talk for a couple hours. So uh, thanks for, thanks for all your nuggets. Thanks for all your information. Thanks for coming on. And uh, we will, uh, we'll see you next time. All right. You got it. Thanks guys. Thanks Phil. All right. Another good one. What'd you think? I expected it to be just as good, yep. and it was. I mean, you know, Phil's opinionated, and that's one thing that makes him good at telecast. You know, the little bit that I did, you know, they don't like for you to ride the fence. They like for you to have an opinion. Yep. Uh, whether they agree with it or not, they want you to be put your opinion out there, and Phil's capable of that. I'm so fascinated by this idea about decade and talking about decade with really good players and guys that played at your level and, and whatnot, like at times decade would have, um, reined me in and I needed to be reined in at times. Um, but I also, I also completely agree with you guys that, you know, Tiger Woods in his prime on the back nine of a major when he's really feeling it and has to hit the shot is going to go by his gut and not by what math says. And, and I think, Again, I think Scott has has built an unbelievably awesome system, and we recommend it to all of our kids and have recommended it to all of our listeners too. But golf's not completely black and white. Well, I've said it many times. You know, there's going to be a shot out there for a great player that could alter his career. Yeah. And uh, he's going to have to choose that decision with his gut instead of, 
you know, what the percentage says. Yep. And I can tell you there was multitudes of times where it was coming right down the stretch with me and I had to do something that was would have been against decade. Yep. And, you know, I just... Uh, both conservatively and aggressively, both ways. Tell the master story when you knew you needed to make birdie on the 18th hole. It was a back right pin, water right, and you you needed to make birdie to finish top 10 and get in the masters. Crooked stick. Uh, I'm standing out in the middle of the fairway, and I knew that I had to finish eighth or better to get into the masters And the next year. So this is what, the PGA? This is PGA. And it's the year John Daly won. And the pin was back right, and I don't know how many of y'all know Crooked Stick, but it, the green kind of sets in there like that, and the water comes around like this. And I just I had a five iron into the green, I think, and I just didn't feel comfortable hitting a fade like that. I felt like if I came off of it at all, I'd be in the water. Yeah. And I said, you know, it's do or die. We got to... I mean, my draw works perfect here. I'm going to aim it out over the water, and I'm going to draw it right into the flag. And so you got to understand, I I was going to hit the shot that I could hit that I felt good about hitting. You could commit to. That I could commit to. Right. And I hit it, you know, and Decade would not have said do what I did. And, that again, I think it comes back to, like, the situation. Are you chasing FedEx points, or are you trying to – to reach a goal of yours, which was to make the Masters the next year, right? And well, if I didn't care whether I finished twelfth, but I did care whether I finished eighth, right? Correct. And that's the point, correct? And I think too many guys right now are chasing FedEx points, and I, you and I talk about it all the time. I don't think enough guys are trying to win, and and decade fits into that category of maximizing what you have, mm-hmm. but not necessarily trying to win. Yeah, it, it, he's talked about all the time. There's enough money to finish fifteenth for the rest of your career, and 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 have an awesome life, right? And, Every great player from you know Brandle won one time and conviv- and that's it. that's one of his biggest regrets is only winning one time you yeah. know and you can go back and remember all your wins and you'll remember the runner ups and some of the ones you you let go. You're not remembering the times you finished fifteenth or twentieth. You're just not. And so while Scott's teaching a system to the current era, let's say with how much money's out there, you know there's you know you're you can. You reach the pinnacle of the sport by winning golf tournaments. So there's another way to put this in a way. Yes, you're 100% right, but there's a graduation process. For every young man and young woman listening out there that is trying to get better, and for even all of you handicapped golfers that are out there, the decade system is really going to help you learn how to play your best golf right now. It's not going to teach that great player how to play winning golf. Yeah. And there's a graduation to get to that point. Yeah. And you'll know when you get there. Uh, you know, Scott talks about it like you never get there. But uh, but, but even the even the five handicap that's chasing a chasing a winning the second flight in the club championship, you know, the last hole pins back right and decade says 20 feet left of the hole and you've got to make birdie to win. You know, game time, right? right. Like hit a, try and hit a shot and you make double, it doesn't really matter. You know, where on the PGA Tour, you make double in the last hole of the 72nd hole. If you're 15th or if you're, you're third, it's going to cost you a lot of money. And his system is kind of maximizing kind of maximizing revenue, per se, on the PGA Tour. You know, I, and I love, what I really love 
on the decade system too. I love the stat tracking side of it, where it can show you what what your weaknesses are and stuff. You laughed when I said maximizing right. revenue. Yeah, I did. Yeah, because that's what it feels like on yeah. the tour right now right. is maximizing revenue. Yeah. And I mean, that's not part of what I. I mean, you know, Nicholas, the greatest player of all time by majors. Yeah. Only won six and a half million dollars right. right there. Correct. I mean, he went for wins. And, you know, Tiger played to win. Trust me, Tiger was trying to win every tournament he played in. He wasn't trying to maximize his shots. And it goes back to our conversation we had with with, about Rory and we've had about other players. Like, they get to the point, like, what are they, what are they chasing? You know, they got enough money in the bank. They got their private jet. What are they, what are they, are they still hungry? And you can see where it, it can become difficult to stay hungry, especially with the media and everything, all the, all the, the, the stuff surrounding them. Well, you know, earlier this year, Lee Westwood. Yep. You know, I mean, Lee's a different case. He's in his late forties. Yep. He's near the end of his playing career against the best players. Yep. And you know, he wanted to. He should have wanted to win that tournament. Yep. And you know, Bryson was kind of in the same boat, but Bryson's young. Yeah, talking about the players. Yeah. yeah. So there's time for a guy like Bryson to say, "Hey, I'm I'm playing to win." But Lee Westwood is near the end. He should have been thinking that direction. We need to, we need to get him on here and see if see if he would tell us <laughs> if, if, say, did it, if he pulled it on. Because yeah. we talked about him a lot on. 17. Yeah, we have talked about. it. I wonder if he did pull it. But yeah, did you pull it pull it left of that pin on seventeen at, at Sawgrass, or or you know did you uh, did you aim a little left and try you know try to do something different? But well, again, you know we love having guests on like Phil that have played the game at a high level and they're really smart and they're not afraid to to put an opinion out there because it it makes it. Uh, much easier for us to kind of bring a product to you guys that we're proud of. And, and Phil was unbelievable, unbelievably good. And as always, we strive to bring the best each week to you guys. So you guys have, have some awesome stuff that you can, you can take home and apply it, apply it to your game. So thanks again, as always. Yeah. Phil texted me after it was over with, and he said, don't be afraid to voice your opinion. Cause I know you have one. And you know, honestly, I have gotten a little less opinionated than I used to be. And you know, I do stand for things just like Phil does, I and you know, and I've lightly uh, opposed decade at some points, and uh, I think it's great. It's in most cases, but uh, it's not an end all, as nothing in golf is. Yeah. And I think everybody should keep that in mind. There's nothing that will teach you everything. That's up to you. Amen. Thanks again. Started blinking. Let's see if we lost it anywhere. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes.